Well, let's now direct our attention to the Word of God. We're still in the Sermon on the Mount, although we have moved forward. We're in chapter 7 now. Chapter 7 of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. And I want us to look at the five verses, not the six that's there. Um, I feel like the sixth is a whole different story. Shall I tell them, Tommy? You don't think I should? Okay, okay. It was a weak attempt at humor I shared with Tommy, but some things are kept confidential by the pastors. Many things, I hope. Listen now to the Word of God. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now we're still in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is still teaching this elongated sermon, this message with many, many topics. But the general things to remember, and we've talked about this almost each and every time, is that he's speaking to his disciples. Others are there and auditing this. He's talking about their behavior. He's talking about their heart. He's talking about his disciples' worldview and their treasure and their loyalties and on and on and on and a lot of the things that Jesus says are those things that are always addressed with do not do not do this do not do that and he has the context in mind of the the men who've been the spiritual leaders of these Judean people for many many uh, years that is the scribes and the Pharisees, the doctors of the law. The Pharisees were that party that, that uh, considered themselves to be experts in holiness. In fact, that's what the word means. It means to separate, uh, the separated ones. And, and Jesus contrasts, do not interpret the law like they do. Do not pray like they do ostentatiously. Do not give alms like they do. Do not fast as that you can be seen of men like they do. And on and on, he's saying, do not, do not, do not. In the very next passage, he's going to say, do not cast your pearls before swine. And in this particular passage, it's do not judge. Do not judge. And the people that the Lord has in mind to contrast his kingdom behaviors with are the Pharisees. And we see this spirit of the Pharisees in the scriptures, a very familiar passage. I'll just read it. It's just a a few verses. Uh, Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. 
But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Once again, Jesus is contrasting that of the self-righteous Pharisees with those who receive grace, those who come by way of humble contrition and repentance to receive forgiveness for their sins. Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner, and who receive from the hand of the Lord the gift of forgiveness and grace and mercy and the gift of eternal life, all wrapped and packaged in Jesus Christ himself. So here he is, Christ, the very sacrifice for sins, is dealing with the sins of the heart. And so he tells these Pharisees not, I mean, he tells his people not to be like the Pharisees and to not judge. Now, what is meant by that? Let me define two or three words here that'll be helpful, I think, in, uh, in understanding what we're, what we're talking about. The first one is a word, uh, krino, and it means to judge. And that's the word that's used here. In fact, that's the only root word that's used here. The word krino means to judge principally, but it's used over 20 times in the New Testament. And it has about 22 or 23 different usages. And, and it depends on what prefix is put on the word or what word is combined with it to make a compound word as to what it may mean. But I will suggest to you that here judging is the whole judicial process of judgment. And let me spell out what I mean by that. Um, it word, the word means to judge, but it refers to the judgment itself. It refers to the decision that is made in judging. Sometimes it means to discriminate or discern. Sometimes it means to condemn Listen to all this, because I think the Lord incorporates all of this when he says, do not do this. And so these meanings are all uh, bound up in this root. It means, interestingly enough, to investigate, to answer, to probe. And notice in the text when he talks about seeking, diligently seeking the speck that's in your brother's eye as opposed to noticing the beam that's in your own eye. There's a lot of rich subtlety here in the Lord's words. And these words, I think, sort of really focus that and frame it the way it needs to be. So that's what the Lord is saying, telling them not to do. It's this whole judicial process. Now, there is good judgment, the judgment of God, the mishpat in the Old Testament. Over and over and over, the word judgment is used. There's a lot of scripture about God being a righteous judge and a faithful judge. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a minute as we come to quickly apply this. But what the Lord is talking about here is that, that critical, probing, investigating, curious, malvalent judging that is done among brothers. Now, Jesus is telling his disciples not to do this among themselves to each other. It was apparently very, very common for the Jewish people, and especially the leadership of the Jewish people, to have this mindset. Because they had such a finely tuned and excellent 
good and acceptable law written by the Lord himself. They had a fine-tuned sense of justice and equity and righteousness. And so it was easy for them to look at someone else and notice how they, that other person doesn't quite measure up and to be critical and to detect and discern all sorts of little weaknesses and failures and gaps and shortcomings and sins, peccadillos, as well as, as gross uh, misbehaviors in others. Now, this particular mindset to judge is what the Lord is referencing against. Um, when he speaks of the speck that's in your brother's eye versus the log that's in your eye, he's using, obviously, hyperbole. He's using the extremes of a tree. The speck is the little tiniest of twig. It's that little part of the tree that the bird uses to, to make his nest. The log or the beam is the trunk of the tree. So obviously the contrast is, is real vivid. You, you notice that little tiny twig, that little tiny speck, that moat that is in, the, in the, your brother, but you can't see the whole tree trunk the whole gamut of unrighteousness and sin in your own life. And so the Lord is introducing to his disciples a measure of discernment and discipline that calls for balance to start recognizing our own sins and not being so quick to find, judge, condemn, indict our brother. Now, this, this notion of really being able to see someone else's sin and not to see your own sin apparently was kind of a, a, a feature of, um, of Jewish life. And Paul deals with it in Romans chapter 2. And I want to read a good long passage. I'll try not, I'll try not to comment on it. And, uh, and listen to how Paul, when he's dealing with these very same types of people, these these Jewish self-righteous people. In chapter 1 of Romans, he's already dealt with the, with the unbeliever, the pagan that goes to the reprobate. Now he's dealing with the self-righteous Jew. And this is some of the admonitions he gives. And this is really our message this morning, is this passage and one more that I'll read. Uh, it's not what I say, it's what the scriptures say. So hear the word of the Lord. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in the passing judgment... On another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who do such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who do such things, that yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. That verse cannot go uncommented on. Verse 4. Do you presume on the riches of the kindness, the forbearance, and the patience, that cluster of the long-suffering Lord with sinners such as I, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? 
But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. That's where the conviction of our own hearts should come. When we realize that it's not just others, it is we ourselves who are guilty. This particular sin, I think, escapes no one. In fact, sometimes the people that really work hard to be righteous in themselves are harsh and judgmental toward others who struggle and fail and have things wrong in their life. And the Lord is calling us to a self-inspection and a self-awareness and a self-consciousness concerning our sins and telling us to avoid that self-righteous stance that causes us to judge others. It's a, it's a, a teaching that will lead to the sweetest spirit possibly imagined in the life of the believers, in the life of the church. The jealousies, the bitterness, the conflicts, the quibblings, the quarrels, the squalls that come will be minimized when God's people learn to follow the teaching of the Lord here on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, there's a couple other words we'll define quickly. The word measure, it means not only the means, but the extent to which you set up the criterion and the extent to which you judge others, that'll be borne in mind when it comes time to judge you. If it's a strict and a harsh standard, it will be laid against you. Several times already in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord has referred to a final judgment. He will conclude the Sermon on the Mount with a pretty thorough exposition about that judgment that comes to all, one way or the other, before it's all over with. We all are judged. But the word there is the word uh, metor, which means meter. It's a metric. A metric whereby we are spiritually discerned and measured. And then one other word, and this one I think you're all very familiar with, and it is the word hypocrite. The Lord, I think, has in mind the Pharisees, the scribes, when he uses this word hypocrite. I know that because he actually called them that to their face on another occasion. But he also, I think, has a sincere desire that his own disciples are not like that at all. 
And of course, I know most of you know that too comes, it's a compound word. It has that word crino in it, crit, which means to judge, to discern, and all that we've talked about a moment ago. But it has also the compound of the hypo, which means underneath it and before it and, and, and sets forth the, uh, the burden that it bears. And the word has quite a history, actually, in, in the Greek language and carrying over into other cultures. Uh, it literally means uh, to, to say something, to answer, to explain. And it comes from one who would read poetry, and then they would stand up and read poetry, and most of the poetry that would be read in a public forum for the uh, edification and the entertainment of people in the ancient Greek world. Uh, there would be a lot of platitudes and a lot of ethics and a lot of lecture and a lot of uh, things that need to be said in the poem. And the person would read the poem and they would be standing out front uh, reading and explaining and eloquently setting forth this beautiful moral poem. But they themselves maybe a liar and a drunk and who knows what they are off stage and behind the scenes. But up there in front of everybody, they're, as it were, they're wearing this, this facade, this mask. And it talks about how that this is the role, it's the pretense that a person has in that particular role. And later it became uh, uh, routine to think of life as that which is... Uh, and the conduct that's played out in, in real life is manifested on a stage. That's the whole point of drama. It takes the activities and the, the experiences and the attitudes, the vocabulary, all of these things of life and puts it out there on display. I wonder Shakespeare thought when he said, all the world's a stage. And all of us are merely players. He had this kind of character in mind. And it thinks about those that separate precept from practice. Or those that separate talk from walk. And I think this is what the admonition is pushing us toward. Getting rid of all false pretenses. And so this term that Jesus uses as a, a, a name and a designation, you hypocrites had a lot of meaning to it. And the thing that was most notable to me is the realization that Jesus is telling us not to judge. He's telling us that we are not to be like the Pharisees, He's telling us how we are to live our lives. And he is telling us about the expectation and all the world, all the time Jesus knows he is the judge. The very one admonishing, the very one encouraging the very one instructing. And as we find, as we end this, this sermon uh, on the mount, the one teaching with great authority. And the reason he had great authority was who he is. He himself is the judge. So finally, as I wind up, let me just hear John's gospel, the teaching of 
of John's gospel around this subject. The father judges no one, but is given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. John is giving us now the very words of Jesus. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. 